Alrighty, so uh, Sal shared with you uh, what's in the bulletins there. Um, so yeah, on the 24th, I'll let you know in more details, I think, next week exactly what we're going to do. But it looks like what we're going to do is we're going to uh, go down to Glendale, like I said, on Fort Hazel Ave, um, right down 63 really, um, right off of 63. We'll go down there at 10 a.m., so it'll be a different time than regular morning service. And... Um, the elderly people there, they really love them. People just sing songs for them. You know, that's like, totally blesses them. So we'll go down there. Uh, we'll sing some songs. And it looks like we'll probably play some games with them too um, for about an hour. Um, and then they said that, you know, they're pretty much maxed out after an hour. Um, so <laughs> we'll enjoy our time with them uh, then. Um, but I'll have like exactly, you know, what songs we'll sing and, you know, what games will be available and, you know, where we'll show up and meet and all that stuff. So I'll have that next week. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the uh, baptism um, and slash picnic coming up, that'll probably be in Bethany like last year. Uh, and so more details as we kind of get closer than that, but that will be um, a good time. And if you're interested about baptism at all, um, certainly uh, come see me and um, we can talk about that. But let's um, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And um, that's where we're going to be today. Uh... I'm not sure where it is in the Blue Bible, so if you have a Blue Bible, if you could yell it out, that would be great. Yeah, Matthew chapter 7. I should have looked ahead of time, but I didn't. It's after Malachi, yes? And he gave us the book in between the two Z's before, right? So. It's on page 685. Page 685 in the Blue Bibles. I'm not sure in the white one, so if you have a choice of blue or white in front of you, grab the blue one. Page 685. Alright, so, uh, jury duty and then the message uh, entitled today, uh, Here Comes the Judge. Right? Here Comes the Judge. Um, and jury duty kind of relates to this because it you know, has to do with that same theme as far as you know, being in a courtroom, this idea of judging and you know, uh, the different things that are involved with that. So let me share uh, my jury uh, duty experience, the latest one. And that kind of really just jump starts us in, into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so my latest jury duty experience was, I think, last year. Um, you know, I got the letter in the mail, the first one. Then I canceled it, got the second letter in the mail. You know, then got the next one. And then eventually I had to serve it. Um, I was trying to put it off to where I'd have to do it like in the summertime and not during the school year because uh, if you know a teacher or do teach, you do know that it's actually more work for you when you leave than if you just were to stay. Um, but it worked out where I ended up... Um, having it, uh, or I end up having to go in during the school year. So I go down, uh, right, right to Waterbury, and I was one of the huge room full of people. I was one of the first ones called in. I was like, well, that's pretty weird. I was like, but hey, at least I get to go back to work early. Um, I don't know what I said. I was just really honest. And uh, apparently that got me into another interview. And then so now I'm on a case. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, like what, what's going to happen here? Um, that's my attitude. My wife's attitude was like, oh, this is exciting. Like, what's the case? What's going to go on? And of course, I got to be difficult. So I won't tell her. And I say, oh, I can't tell you about that. I can't tell you the details. And so, um, and so we fast forward to the first day where I have to show up for actual jury duty day. Um, I actually made it as an alternate. Um, and so... Uh, there's two alternates and then the rest of the panel. But even if you're alternate, you have to go and sit there and hear the whole case, you know, just in case. Um, so that first morning, um, I get there. We're, we're all of us jurors. Uh, there's eight of us. You know, there, there wasn't 12. You know, like you always see, there's actually six with the two alternates. Um, so we're there and we're um, 
just kind of hanging out in the room. Then we get, you know, you, you come out into the courtroom and it kind of is like what you see on TV and you go walk up there, you sit down in your bench and if you've done it, you know that. Uh, and then you sit down in your seat and then the, the judge pops out, the lawyer comes out, they start their arguments. And This particular case uh, was about a double uh, mastectomy that really went wrong. It was really kind of sad and the patient was soon the doctor and it was just... You know, all the stuff involved in there. And it just really wasn't good. You know, you really felt bad. Your heart went out to the... It was an elderly woman, too. And so your heart went out to her. Um, so, before the case, like, they actually, during my second interview, you know, before they, when they were picking, they're like, you know, are you okay with, like, looking at, you know, graphic pictures? Like, can you handle that? You know, is it... Are you all right with that? And I was honest with them. I was like, you know, I'm not really that great with it. Um, I, I don't really handle it that well. Um, you know, my wife is great. She's like a medical person, but I, I'm just not good with it. Um, although having a baby cured a lot of that. But, um, you know, so I said that wasn't... But for whatever reason, I still got picked. So we're there. It's the case. Um, and they start off with each... Um, side starts with their arguments. And then uh, they start bringing the pictures out. And they... Um, pass them out to all of his jurors and we have to look at them, you know, and kind of go around and take a look at all the stuff. And um, as they're passing around, you know, it is kind of graphic stuff, but, you know, you're trying to, like, make the best decision and, like, be a responsible juror and, like, you know, do things the right way and take all of the facts, you know, and kind of weigh them and look at all of it and hear everything. So, as most of the pictures are going around, um, there's a, a, a young woman, actually, kind of on the right side from where I was. And um, as the pictures are going around, when the lawyer is talking, and her, her arm goes up. And I'm like, you can't raise your hand in court? Like, what is she doing? So she's, she's raising her hand, and the judge looks over, you know, kind of does a double take, and I'm like, what is going on right now? And as I look the second time in my double take, her face is like super white and pale and I'm like, uh-oh. Like, that doesn't look very good. And um, she raised her hand and she goes, um, excuse me, Your Honor, um, could I go to the bathroom for a minute? And she didn't even finish the phrase because she, she, she was standing up as she said it. And then she just, boom, hits the ground. And then we're like, <laughs> it's like what is going on right now? So then the... Um, uh, the uh, they're not a cop, but what are they? Bailiff. The bailiff, right? So the bailiff, right? Thank you. So the bailiff comes um, running over, and then you know the judge is like, "Everybody, sit down. You know, relax, calm down." Um, and she felt like really awkwardly. She was like, as she was saying and and requesting the judge to go to the bathroom, she was like halfway through the door, and then she like fell into it, and so like it wasn't a good scene. And so the judge is like, "Okay, everybody, just go to lunch. You know, and we'll come back later." So, you know, we all go to lunch, and everyone's, you know, there's a buzz certainly going around, and, and some of us jurors went to, like, the same place to eat um, downtown, and we we're all talking about, like, what, is, what happened? Like, that's crazy, you know? And what are they going to do to this case? And, like, how is this all going to go? So then we get back from lunch, and uh, we're waiting for, like, an hour. No, you're not really waiting for an hour for, like, a judge and lawyers and stuff. So, like, geez, what is going on? So then the judge comes out. And uh, the judge uh, sits us all down and says, listen, you know, um, based on some things that have happened today, we're actually going to declare this a mistrial because we need to start over. Um, because of, you know, the young woman passing out. And also, she says, and also, I made a decision that 
when people were looking at the pictures and sort of evaluating things, and we had like little notebooks and stuff and you could take notes, she said that as uh, the case was being presented and as the picture was being passed around, I felt like a couple of jurors weren't taking it very seriously. And so because of that, and because of the young woman passing out, um, we're going to have to declare a mistrial. And so she was declaring a mistrial because she wasn't able to gather enough evidence you know, to have... Um, she didn't feel comfortable with the fact that it was going to be fair with whatever the way the case was going to go. Because whatever side you're on, you know, if you feel like you get slighted, you're going to be like, well, this happened, well, that happened. And she's like, you know, let's just avoid all of that and let's just start over again. And so it's weird how that term judge, right, of the judge, really what their job, job is, is to take all the information, look at it all objectively, logically, analytically, with time, and kind of weigh it out, and see what the best decision is. Somehow, like, that word kind of switched over time. So if somebody was to call me the judge, or a judger, um, that doesn't really have, that has like a negative connotation to it. And somewhere that happened. And unfortunately, like for many Christians, uh, we are known just really as the judges. We're the fault finders, we're the sin sniffers, and we can find it out, and that's kind of like how people identify us. And so it's kind of a sad thing. And so this morning, um, what I put on, on the Facebook uh, stream this week for the church, I said, you know, tomorrow morning we're going to talk about the unbeliever's favorite Bible verse. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, um, verse 7, we're going to talk about uh, judging in this verse, and we're going to look at, you know, what does it mean to judge? How do we do it? The dangers of it? Uh, what if we get judged wrongly, like against us? Like, what are we supposed to do with that? Um, but two thoughts. Two thoughts, and hopefully it's uh, on the slide there. Two questions I just want us to really focus on and pay attention to as we kind of go through everything. So two questions that I wanted to look at. First one was, are we aware of our own sinfulness? You can't see it that well, but that's the first question. How aware are we of our own sinfulness? Like, that's going to be something that's really going to play, that's going to come into play or it's really going to matter. So how aware are we of our own sinfulness? And then secondly... How does Jesus expect us to balance loving and judging? How does He expect us to do that? Because we're called like to love other people. And Jesus said that we'll be known that we're Christians by the way we love others. But at the same time, like this, there's this thing of judging in there. And in the Bible, it actually even says to judge other people. So is that like a contradiction? What are we talking about here? What is really going on? Well, let's see what Jesus has to say about it. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says, he says, right? Sermon on the Mount. He's still in the middle of it. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So let's, uh, let's open up in prayer. God, I pray, Lord, that you would um, give us understanding as far as loving, Lord, and judging God. And I pray, God, that this morning, Lord, um, you would make your heart on this um, easier for us to understand, God. Uh, because we certainly want to be known for the, for the right reasons, God, and we want to make right decisions. We want to treat people the right way, Lord. And so we pray, God, that you would um, help us to do that, Lord. Help us to have the right, balanced, biblical view, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as far as judging, loving, judgers, all this stuff, I think right here, here's the challenging part. As we get started, before we take a look at our two questions, here's the challenge. Being able to separate the person from the perception. I think that's like, that's one big challenge right there. Are we able, can we separate the person from the perception? I was reading an article this past week. Um, Yale actually put it out. It was like 1998, Psychology Today magazine. I'm sure you read that all the time. Um, And so I was checking that out and um, it, it was an article about stereotyping. And the article was about how like, we unconsciously just do that. And I think probably most of us can relate to that. But they did a study about how people unconsciously, uh, what they do is they actually just put them kind of into categories, into sets. And that's sort of kind of like how we classify, I guess, stereotype people. Um, but our hope is that hopefully, like, I guess we can classify like that, it's okay, but hopefully we don't go too far, and then it turns into like judgmental. And it goes to a bad place. Um, somebody that did make it go to a bad place uh, is uh, this biblical, uh, really uh, amazing guy. This guy, H.A. Ironside. Um, he kind of got caught judging somebody else. And he was like uh, this big Christian guy, but he got caught judging somebody else. And he got caught judging uh, Bishop Potter. So here is his story. He says, he was sailing for Europe. Um, This is a while ago, during the 1800s or so. He was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went aboard, he found that another passenger was to share the cabin with him. After going to see the accommodations, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship safe. He explained that ordinarily he never availed himself of that privilege, but he had been to his cabin and he had met the man who was to occupy the other berth. Judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. The person accepted responsibility for the valuables and remarked, It's alright, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. The other man has been up here, and I left his for the same reason. <laughs> right, so he went down there, and he's going to request you know, to have his stuff you know, already stay there. Uh, kind of judging this guy based on how he looked. He's like, oh man, I can't trust my stuff in here with him. He's my roommate. He looks kind of, you know, like a shady character. And, you know, little did he know that the other guy already went there and already did the same thing. Um, We have a little bit of a video clip here that we're going to show that kind of shows this same idea of trying to separate the person from the perception. So we'll we'll show that video clip. The old saying goes, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's true. Don't look at that person who ends up next to you and say, 
responsible to reach out to those around us. They're eternally dependent on it. We need to stop worrying about the opinions of others. We need to open our eyes. New opportunities are put in front of us every single day to come out of our comfort zone, open our minds, and speak these simple words. Hey man, if you're not doing anything this weekend, uh, check this out. We're doing something cool at our church. So. I, I like that clip because it really puts into perspective, you know, as far as trying to separate, you know, the person from the perception. I mean, you know, there could be a perception of, you know, a guy coming up to you with what, however he is dressed, um, whatever kind of tattoos, earrings, facial hair, whatever. We might in our brain subconsciously put him in these sets, right, and put him somewhere. Um, but hopefully it doesn't like hold us back from what we know God is maybe trying to do you know, through us. And so that's like the battle that goes on. We're trying to separate the person from the perception because I'm sure that you, at some point, have been judged incorrectly. And you know how that feels. You've been labeled some way, um, put in some category, and it's like, well, no, no. Like, why don't you, like, get to know me and see what's really going on, see what my experiences are about, see the type of culture I grew up in, and, you know, take an interest in me. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. You know, take an interest. So that's like the first battle, that's the first challenge. Trying to separate the person, right, from the perception. So what about those two questions? Okay? How aware are we of our own sinfulness? Okay, so that's the first one. Because that one really matters. And so here's a quick little quiz for you. If you had to answer this question, okay, who are... Who do you think are the biggest sinners? Like, if you had to answer that question, you don't have to say it out loud, but in your mind, if you had to answer the question of, who do you think the biggest sinners are? You know, who would come to mind? What does come to mind? We're all hoping that it's like ourselves, and we're like, oh man, I'm like the biggest sinner, you know, I fall so short of what God asks, and only God really knows what a big sinner I am, and like, what really goes on inside of me, because only, you know, what comes out of my mouth and how I act is only a quarter of what's really going on inside, and hopefully that's the response that happens. Um, If it goes somewhere else, and that gives it a good indication as far as how aware of our sin we really are and if we're really focused on maybe other people's sins and really not so much ourselves. And Jesus said that that's a problem because what he said, right, in verse 3, he says, you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. And that's the equivalent of like a piece of sawdust and like a telephone pole. Right? And so I'm going to go and try and point out what's wrong with somebody else or what I think is wrong with somebody else because I don't know all the facts. We hardly ever know all the facts. None of us are God. And so I have this telephone pole sticking out of my eye and you might have, you know, this little piece of sawdust there, but yet I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm going to tell you how to do it. Jesus saying it just doesn't make any sense. It is like um, this somewhat blind guy who went to an art gallery. Um, he got invited by his friends and uh, his wife says, hey, you know, you should really grab you know, your glasses. And he's like, ah, don't worry about it. I'm not a big fan of this artwork anyways and, you know, I'm just going to go because our friends are going to be there. And so they get to the uh, art gallery and they're there and 
uh, they're looking around and you know, he's like, oh man, he's like, this stuff, I can't believe they call this art, you know, this is just, doesn't make any sense, look like they just splattered paint on there, uh, it's just ridiculous. And uh, as it gets closer, you know, he's just more critical about the artwork and what's actually there. Uh, and then people around him are starting to giggle, you know, and they're like, what are you giggling about? Uh, and as he gets closer, uh, they say, you know what, in front of you right there, it's a mirror, Right in front of me now. So he didn't even realize. Right, he couldn't see why. Well. He didn't bring his glasses. He wanted to be critical about it. And I like, put in a bad light, but little did he know he was actually just walking, approaching a mirror, and he didn't even really see it. Right? And so many times, like, that could totally be like us, where we think we read a situation, we think we know it, because we're very smart. We've had our experiences, and we're very intelligent, and we can analytically figure out things very well. Um... And then, you know, you realize and you get closer to a situation and a circumstance, it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that they were raised in that kind of household. I had no idea that they did such and such with their money. I remember I had a, a, uh, you know, my pastor growing up, he always tells me a story of, um, you know, when he was in Bible college, there was this guy who always had, like, nice new rides all the time. Uh, and at that time, it was, like, muscle cars. So it was, like, a nice GTO, a nice Challenger. And he's, like, in Bible college, driving around in it. And he's like, man, that guy is so, like, proud and arrogant. And obviously, he doesn't tithe. And, you know, what is his deal? You know, what's going on? So come to find out um, that this guy, what he would do um, is he would actually... Um, buy these kind of junker cars, buy a junker Challenger, buy a junker GTO, fix it up really nice, and then what he would end up doing is donating it uh, to a Christian charity that was actually in the area. And a lot of times it went to single moms or families that didn't have a car. And, uh, you know, only he can tell the story, so I won't try because he does it justice. You know, but he's like, man, I just had to take my foot out of my mouth. I had to just ask for repentance on that because I had no idea. You know, we have no idea what's actually going on with people and what they're thinking and what's really happening. It says in First uh, Samuel, you don't have to go there, you can maybe go there maybe later this week. But in 1 Samuel 16, maybe you could read that passage later this week, um, in verses 1 through 13, they were actually looking for the next king of Israel. Actually, yeah, the next king. Because Samuel was kind of the leader at that time. And they already had picked Saul, and they said, you know what? Uh, he, He really got himself in trouble and it wasn't working out. And so God actually was in process of picking somebody else. And so Samuel shows up to the house because God said, hey, you have to go to this house and see this person because, believe it or not, one of his kids is going to lead the nation of Israel. It's going to be them. And so he says, okay, I'm going to go there. And so this guy, Jesse, he had nine sons. Uh, He gets there, and um, Samuel says to the dad, he says, hey, listen, one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And he says, I don't know which one. He said, so God just told me to show up. I just showed up. And I guess God is just going to kind of show it to me and let me know when I take a look at him. And so he had his sons, one by one, kind of go in front. And uh, the oldest one came forth, then the next one, then the next one. And uh, Sam was like, you know what? I'm not getting a sense that God has really chosen in your sons. He's like, are you sure? Like, this is everybody? Is this, you know, all that's here? 
because, you know, God doesn't look at, you know, we look at the appearance. He's actually looking at the inside because that's what truly matters. He's getting past all that other stuff. He's looking right at the inside. So are you sure there's no one else here? And he's like, well, actually, the youngest one, he's outside, you know, shepherding, you know, the fields and kind of taking care of the animals. And he's like, well, bring him in. We'll see what happens. And so they bring him in. And all of a sudden, God speaks to Samuel. How? Not quite sure. doesn't really say. But however he did, it was confirmed right then and there that, oh my goodness, this is the one. This is going to be the king. And at that time, he's like 14. He's a young guy. And so right there in the middle of the living room, they break the flask of oil. They anoint him right there in the living room in front of his brothers. And he says, this is going to be the next king of Israel. And you can imagine his brothers like, oh my gosh, I'm going to beat him down when Samuel leaves. Like, I can't believe this. Like, how is this going on? But as far as God goes, he's always focused on the inside. And it's like so foreign to us. We're always focused on the outside. Well, how are they dressed? What are they driving? How are they doing that? How do they act? What did they say? And we're always looking. Unfortunately, sometimes us as Christians, we're looking like a real critical eye. You know, instead of, geez, you know, why are they dressed like that? Or why are they talking like that? Or what is really going on? Looking to dig deeper instead of, oh, it's so offensive. Right? It's kind of sad. Because God is just not like that. And that's not what He's going after. So what about the second part? Right? The first question was, how aware are we of our own sinfulness? Well, that's kind of a big part. I mean, if we're really truly aware of what God asks and how we really are, then I think that we're probably going to be a lot less judgmental towards somebody else. But the second question was, how does Jesus expect us to be loving and not judging? Because that seems to be what's going on here. Jesus is saying, don't judge at all. Because he says, if you do, however you do it, by the same way it's going to happen to you. And so, right, the moral of the story is just don't judge at all. Because then, like, you won't be judged. So the question is, Really, what is going on here? What does this word judging mean? Um, how does this all work? Well, on the ne- I think it's the next slide here. In 1 Corinthians 5.12, here's the conflict I was talking about. Here's what I, th- I was talking about. And I was like, well, this might be a contradiction. It says, what business, Paul writes this. It's in the Bible, right? We heard what Jesus said about judging. Here's what Paul says about judging. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those on the inside? God will judge those on the outside. So, right, so put it in perspective. So Jesus says, don't judge. But then Paul says right here, are we supposed to judge those inside? And so that seems like a contradiction. I mean, it definitely does. It's a legitimate point. So what is actually going on here? Well, whenever it seems like there's a contradiction, it's always a good idea Number one, to read what's before and after the verses. That always helps. And then secondly, it's really helpful to look at what, like, what it really says in like, the original language. Because that's where we're getting everything from anyways. So I'm going to take a look at this word judge and see what it means. And let's see if the Bible really contradicts itself. So, to work on your Greek today, you can say you learned two words in Greek today. I know it's not that exciting, but it is pretty important. It really is. Because it takes care of this whole contradictory issue. So that first word, krino. Everybody say krino. 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 You got to say it. Krino. 
Right? Krino. That's what is going on in Matthew when Jesus talks about judge. And then you got to say, Anakrino. Anakrino. Yeah, look at you guys. Seminary, look out. Right? So you got Krino, Krino. Right? And you got Anakrino. Right? Krino is in Matthew. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the word for judging in Matthew. And Anakrino is the word for judge that we just read from Paul in 1 Corinthians. So what's the deal? What's going on? Well, Krino means, that's the one that Jesus was talking about in Matthew. That means to pick out, to judge, to sentence, to rule, to govern, convict, condemn. It's like a real finalized thing where it's like, boom, that's what they are and I'm calling it how it is. And really condemning like sense. Or when the judge issues a verdict, that's it. Done deal. That it is what it is. Versus anacrino, which is the other judge word that was used in 1 Corinthians. What is that word all about? To investigate, to examine, to interrogate, to kind of take a closer look at it. Those meanings are pretty different. Unfortunately, right, we have our English language and that's what we have. I mean, um, but they had other words and so for us to translate it, the word judge just, you know, unfortunately is the word that they chose for our Bibles and that's okay, but if we dig a little bit deeper, like the answers are there. And so we're certainly called to be loving, but we don't want to be condemning, right? Big difference. Because here's the issue, because here's what happens. We all have people that we know and love. And when you see them entering into like a danger zone or something that you know is going to hurt them, you want to like save them or give them a heads up or look out for them. And all too often the response is, oh, well, don't judge me, you know. Don't judge me. I don't know God's telling you what to do, but don't judge me based on my life and my pattern. And so like, that's a tricky, tough area to try and handle but yet we're called to do it so we want to be experts and we want to really let God direct us to not be condemning but yet maybe we could in a loving way help examine and help evaluate bring awareness to what they're doing and where those choices might go and if they're interested what God might have to say that's why at the end of that passage, right? It's kind of weird at the end of the passage that we read in Matthew. It says, do not give dogs... Like, it just like switches here. It's kind of strange. It says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. What the... How does that fit in what we were just talking about? It just seems so random. You ever have a conversation with like an abstract random person, or maybe you are one? It's just like you talk about one thing and their brains are just like all over the place. It's just like, okay, well, whatever. We got, a Matt, we got a guy like that at work, you know, and he knows it. He goes, I'm an abstract random guy, and he'll just be talking about like the weather, and then he jumps, he's a math teacher, then he jumps to like Gauss's Law, and then he jumps to some scientific thing. He's just all over the map. And that's what it kind of seems like here. It's like, what is going on? Is there any connection or correlation there? Here's what I think it means, and 
most uh, Bible scholars kind of think the same thing. Um, let me share with you, this week I was sharing with a, with a young guy uh, who's been to church here. He kind of helped us when we were at the Elks Lodge setting everything up. And uh, he's actually spoken here a couple of times. And he's a young guy, 22 years old, heart like on fire for God. He's going to be going to Calvary Chapel Bible College. He's leaving in August. Um, and this, he's, just a, he's just a different breed of young guy. He just has responded to God, and he just wants to just be used any way he possibly can where God wants to use him. And one of his desires, and where he feels alive and passionate, is when he can just, like, on the street, anywhere, just let's, like, talk about Jesus. Let's just, you know, talk about spirituality. Let's talk about that stuff. Um, and for a lot of people, it's an uncomfortable conversation. Uh, but for him, he loves to talk about it. He really wants to do it. I mean, how many guys at 21 want to do that? I mean, usually they're, or 22, usually they're at the bars, you know, trying to meet girls, and that's what they want to do. It's not what he wants to do. So I was, calling, I was talking to him this week, calling him, saying, you know, hey, what's up? We haven't talked in a while. Just trying to catch up a little bit. Uh, and he was telling me that um, he was uh, in New Haven, on the green in New Haven. And he calls it uh, he calls it witnessing, and it's what it is. But it's just funny how he uses the title. And in fact, he creates like an event on Facebook. He's like, "I'm going witnessing." He's like, "Anybody want to come witnessing? I'm going witnessing, rain or shine. I'm witnessing." And so he's just funny. And so we're we're talking about um, his latest uh, time there. He's like, "Man, you know, I was on the side of the green, and I'm talking to people, and it's like." You know, people are rude and they're really short with me. He's like, but my friend, this other guy, he's on the other side. And he said, like, three people, you know, engaged in conversation and committed their lives to Christ, like, right then and there. He's like, what's going on? He's like, I should have been on the other side, you know? So he's sharing with me, you know, one story about a, a, a particular guy that he was witnessing to. Say witnessing. Witnessing. Witnessing to. And so he's witnessing to this guy. Um... And I'm not sure how the conversation is going or how it started. But very quickly, the guy is getting like really irritated. And he's like, listen, I don't want to hear. I'm not interested. And um, this kid, he's like, he's, but he wants to tell him something. Somehow wants to engage him. But he also wants to be respectful. And so it's like, you know, he's got like this thing burning inside of him. But like he can't do it. And so he's trying to like... And I'll test the boundaries here. And he's like, but don't you want to know? No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm not interested. Listen. And he said, the guy threatened. He said, listen. He said, I'm going to punch you in the face right now. I don't want to hear anymore. He said, I see the cops right there. I don't care. I don't want to hear any of this. I said, so what'd you do? He said, well, I stopped talking to him. <laughs> I was like, well, good, good. Now, why do I say all that? I say all that because what we're called to do as Christians is we're called to like evaluate a situation where we can be, what we talked about before, examining, helpful, in a loving way, not to condemn. But if people are like, listen, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to punch you in the face. Jesus is like, that's like casting your pearls before swine. I don't call people swine. I mean, but he's using it as a metaphor, right? Where something valuable, if they don't want to hear it, you just got to move on. You don't force it down their throat. And so the difficult part for us is like, oh man, like that requires some skill. That requires some tact. That requires some guidance from the Holy Spirit to help us in those moments. And that's just not something that appears. Like that usually happens through practice and trying to do those things. But that's what we're called to do. 
Because unfortunately in those moments we could become very judging, very condemning, but that's not what God wants us to do. Because our real goal as Christians is to let God handle the inside and we do whatever we can Surrender ourselves in any way where God can just work through us for another person. To where we put our pride aside, put our honor aside, and just try and help, love, and serve them. And as I say that, I'm not saying that like we just should you know, let ourselves you know, get taken advantage of and not protect ourselves. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying as far as you know, judging another person and condemning them, we don't want to live there. What we actually want to do is I think on this slide here from Galatians... Hopefully it'll come up. Here's what we're called to do. Brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin, or if you notice something that maybe, you know, somebody's headed down a bad direction, they're involved in something dangerous, you might know what's coming down the road, how do we respond? You who live by the Spirit should restore. And I got that underlined in my Bible because that's a big word. Restore. That doesn't have like a meaning of, oh man, I can't wait to teach him a lesson. I can't wait to let them know. Like, that's not... No, no, no. Restore that person gently. These are not famous words for when you want to really prove a point. Restore gently. It's like, no, I'm going to let you know. No, that's not it. Restore gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we're called to restore and we're called to carry. Like, that's what we really want to do. We want to stay far away from that judging thing and condemning thing as much as possible. And so if we're on a park bench, you know, next to a guy, and you know, all tatted up, crazy haircut, music is loud, he's being kind of obnoxious and annoying, like, if we feel like God is having us to talk to them, then we just gotta, like, gotta, like, go for it. Because maybe he'll beat us to the church invite, you know? We never know. So, at the end of the day, how do we conclude? I think we started off with two questions. Number one, how aware are we of our sins? And secondly, how does Jesus expect us to be loving and not judging? I think at the end we got two answers. So here's the first one. Awareness of our sin will keep us in check. Definitely when we realize what's really going on and how it really looks. And we need to possess the ability to fight judgments and shine in love and restoration. If we're really aware of like what's going on inside of us, and that's like at the forefront, and I don't want to go picking out a sin that's in somebody else because I know what's really going on in me. Here's the second answer. Is what we want to do is we want to take our thoughts captive. Because so many times our judgments, they might not come out. We might just be thinking in our head, oh my gosh, like, she's a horrible parent. Her kids are out of control. Or if I had money, I wouldn't dress like that. And, or, you know, it just goes everywhere. And so what we want to do is we want to try and put that in a jar, put a lid on that thing, and not let that get out of control. And so that's First uh, Corinthians 10.5 right there. says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what we want to do with those thoughts because so many times those like judgmental thoughts and ideas and mindsets, they're on the inside, but we want to say, you know, how do you take it captive? 
I know a lot of times I got to do it verbally. God, this is like wrong thinking right now. I don't want to do it. I give it to you. And then it might happen again two seconds later. God, I just prayed and I just asked you, Lord, I don't want these thoughts in my head. I pray that, you know, you bless them and get rid of this. And that's what like taking it captive actually means. And that's what we're called to do. So hopefully, at the end of the day, we become a little bit less fault finders and sin sniffers. Because that's not where we want to live at all. Like, we don't want to be known for that stuff. We also don't want to be known as a, you know, people that are totally complacent and just let everything go, that we stand up for truth when we're supposed to. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to close with uh, one song here. And um, after that, we'll, we'll come together and we'll pray. So I think that... we got the song right here? Okay.
blanket white as snow Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow He washed it white as snow God, we just pray, Lord, that you would just uh, give us uh, the eyes that you have, Lord, so we can see people as you see them, Lord. Help us not to get caught up in what we think and our experiences and how much we think we know, Lord. But let us truly uh, go forth and, and judge not and just condemn people, Lord, but give us an ability to... Look at a situation, Lord, and and with loving care, concern, and compassion, Lord, look to restore and look to help carry. That's what we're called to do, and that is very difficult, God. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask for your help with that. We ask for your strength with that. Um, And if we've been judged against, Lord, we didn't really talk about today, we've been judged against, pray, Lord, that we would do this simple act of forgiveness, Lord. Simple to say, tough to do, but help us to, um, even now, put those people right before your throne, Lord, because we don't want bitterness in our hearts towards them, God. And so, we just even take that time, even now, Lord, to just put them before you, Lord, and put that in your hands and say, God, it wasn't right, and I need you to deal with it because I can't hold on to it. God, we, Jesus, we thank you for your wisdom, Lord. We thank you for your Bible that can help us and guide us in life, God. And pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just be convicted, Lord, but we would also be followed up with action. So we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.